HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. This is the 283rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are the dynamic duo behind a new neighborhood brasserie in Brooklyn, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to stay the course. Let's follow our visions and not deter from them, no matter what obstacles may come our way or challenges we may face. Life is full of curveballs, and we shouldn't ever let them steer us, steer us off our path. If we have a dream and we believe in it, that's all that matters. So let's put in the work and go for it. As Starship says, nothing's going to stop us now. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited. I am on location today at Francie, a neighborhood brasserie that opened in December 2020 in South Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I'm here with two guests. I'm with Francie's chef owner, Chris Chipalone and owner-operator John Winterman. Francie is their first independent collaboration together. Chris was formerly the executive chef at the Michelin-starred Piora in New York City, earning two stars from the New York Times. Prior, he was the executive chef of Michael Tusk's Cotonia in San Francisco, which is one of the city's most highly rated and longtime staple restaurants. And John was the managing partner at the James Beard award-winning Michelin-starred Batard and built his expertise of 20 plus years of restaurant management and hospitality at celebrated restaurants such as Charlie Trotter, Gary Denko, and Restaurant Danielle. Prior to Batard, he was the maitre d' at Restaurant Danielle and Cafe Baloo. Without further ado, hi guys. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's so good to be here, to be live with you. Um, 
So I always love to start out and find out people's background and how they got into what they're doing today. So Chris, do you want to take us back a bit as to sure. what led you to become a chef? Well, what led me to become a chef? Uh, well, I probably would have to attribute that to my parents. Uh, I grew up as an only child. Uh, parents owned a wine shop in Westchester, New York. So they were always into food and wine, took me to restaurants, um, as a little kid, I kind of they had a lot of friends with a lot of chefs, um, so I kind of got enamored with that lifestyle that I lead now, um, and I just kind of took to it as my mother cooked, and I would cook for myself a lot because they worked a lot, and um, it, it just kind of snowballed from there. My interest, you know, continued. Um, and John, how far back do you want to go? How far back do you want to take us? Well, it's more than 20 years, so I, th I like to say I got fired from my first restaurant job in 1986. Okay. Um, so you got the 20 plus in the, in the bio. 20 plus in the bio, yeah. Um, I was six years old when you got fired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, the start was really more in college. It was a, a curiosity, and I'd say at best my mother cooked well-balanced meals, um, where, where, you know, I can remember distinctly the first time I tried foie gras working for Charlie Trotter the first time I tried you know a collectible wine um, so the curiosity really really drove me through uh, at the onset and then the type of people with whom I was able to work really gave me a lot of inspiration yeah well we have the Charlie Trotter thing in common even though we didn't overlap we did believe, not know which is kind of hard to believe the, the year I was there you were gone um, but was, would you, I mean, what are, was, was he a mentor? Or who, were, who were some of your mentors? Yeah, actually, I feel like, I was looking at this question earlier. We could probably do an entire show just based on that, and I can give you a list of 100 names and tell you exactly why this person inspired me in certain ways. I would consider Charlie one um, of the mentors for certain reasons. Um, you know, I think the people I've worked with, whether it's uh, people I keep in touch with, through my experience at Trotters, or Danko, or, or Danielle, or even uh, through my partnership with Bittard, you know, you find people that have such a an intense commitment to the hospitality that it's it's almost perverse, you know. And those are the people I gravitate towards because I, I feel like I can learn from them. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Early mentors um, have to be. See, when I was coming up in, in restaurants, uh, I worked for a lot of really amazing chefs that didn't get any recognition um, or didn't get the recognition they deserved for sure. Um, namely, uh, two chefs, uh, Jerry Borkney and William Savarese were two guys that I worked for um, when in younger, younger years when I was like 16 up to like 21 um, at two restaurants, Crabtree's Kittle House and um, Le Cremaire in Chappaqua. And they were, they, as far as cooking, they were like my rock foundation of like the old school way of, of, of cooking and um, that those were like that was like what really solidified me as wanting to do this for the rest of my life and then like John said the countless other people I've worked worked with worked for um, kind of kept me inspired right so how did you two come to collaborate we answered a Tinder ad together. No, I'm oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Good to know it works. We uh, have a mutual friend that introduced us. Um, you know, I uh, was looking at a space and needed a, a look, was looking for a chef partner. And unbeknownst to me, Chris was looking for a space and looking for a partner. And uh, our mutual friend uh, 
got us in touch with each other, and we, we started looking for space together. And um, I think the first space we looked at fell through, and I probably we probably could have easily shaken hands and, and walked our different directions, but we just kind of said, okay, I guess I guess we're partners now. And it was pretty here we easy. are. That, yeah, was, that was the easiest thing about this whole thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. It's you know it seems like it's going to be the hardest thing, but that was you know. It, that that time period went really fast. It's not the normal. It wasn't the normal. Uh, we're going to go look at space for the next two years and try to line up all the money. That happened pretty quickly, and it happened fairly organically. It was just yeah. the referrals from uh, mutual friends. Yeah, so. that's great. So, were you looking in Manhattan and Brooklyn, or were you just set on coming we, we trying in, something different in, in we looked Williamsburg? In both. Both, yeah. both. We we saw a couple of different spaces in Manhattan. Yeah. And I think one other space in Brooklyn before we settled on this one. Yeah. Well, both of you, your experience is from Manhattan. So what what has it been like? I mean, was that was that something you were kind of excited about to try to to open a Brooklyn restaurant? And how how's it been compared? Go ahead. I mean, for, for me, um, a lot of it had to do with when I moved back from San Francisco um, to New York. Uh, I moved to. Queens, which is a place I never thought I'd, I'd live, just because it never kind of struck me as, as a place to go. And uh, I, you know, I really fell in love with it in, in living in the boroughs and, and experiencing Brooklyn and Queens from that side of it, instead of just going to visit um, after living in Manhattan for so many years. And um, it kind of felt, it, it felt, or, again, it felt organic uh, that I wanted to like cook in a, in a more of a neighborhood feel. Um, and uh, like I, I met my wife in Williamsburg, and it, like down the street from this this space, and it, it all just kind of came together. And I was like, and I, I figured that this would be a great spot to, to kind of set roots because that was like yeah. the reason of moving back. It's like I was very sure that I wanted to invest and create something for the city I love and I grew up in. So right. So how did you guys come up with the concept and the menu and the and the whole feel of the place? Was it I mean, was was your vision the same from the get go? I guess. I think it was similar. It was yeah. it definitely dovetailed in a lot of a lot of places. So there wasn't a lot of compromise on either end. It was fairly easy to, to come up with this. And, yeah. You know, the term brasserie gives you a lot of latitude and it gives uh, you know the kitchen the ability to do things that are super simple and tasty that get that, that can be served really quickly and, and it allows you a certain amount of uh, latitude to delve into some luxury items and some uh, more ambitious project and more ambitious cooking um, and, and, and allows us to, I think, embrace the melting pot that is the city where it's not just going to be a French brasserie menu. It's a, it's a New York brasserie, which is how we term it. Yeah. And the name, Francie, where did that come from? I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give all the credit to Mr. Winterman here. We went back and forth with a million names. That was a long process. Actually, it was like that was hard. that was that's like where it got that was that was the hard part. Eight no, weeks of like hard. we would just send each other a list of names. Just and uh, I think Chris was uh, delving into like you know obscure waterways that ran under the city and Revolutionary War officers and all sorts of things. Try to like pick up something from the history of the neighborhood, and uh, we were just. Googling everything you can imagine to try to figure out something, and we were like looking at literary references, and that's where um, that popped up. A tree grows in Brooklyn, which happened to be take place in this neighborhood, um, which ended up being a great fit. Yeah. 
So talk a little about the menu, Chris, because I've now been here twice. I'm a regular, yes. even though you've only been, you'll tell me how many services you've now had. Yeah. Realistically, we just, we're, this is our, not including December, this is our sixth week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm very proud to have been here twice within like like yep. your your I think twelve days of being open. But um and the food has been amazing. I you know, everything. Uh from that uh market salad you have to the hell of it to the desserts. I mean it's fabulous. So well, talk about the menu. The, well the funny thing about the menu was I had this concept of this menu tinkering around in my head. Uh, for a while, and when John and I got together, John's like, I kind of want to open this like brasserie concept, and I was like, okay, do you like this menu? And he's like, yes, and, uh, and then that's basically where we, <laughs> how we went. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, how we, how, how we, how we well. happened as far as the, <laughs> is the, the menu. Um, I wanted to do something that was a la carte. I didn't want, not that we certainly can't uh, produce tasting menus here, but I really wanted to, I think that's where the way dining is and kind of should be at this point. Um, and I wanted to have it. I wanted to have it like like a choose your own adventure and have fun with the menu. Have a bunch of different little sections and kind of like not make it the straightforward narrative of like appetizer, entree, dessert kind of thing. I wanted mm -hmm. I wanted you to to be able to come in and have a different way of eating every single time you come here. So whether you pop in the bar and you just have a couple of snacks, or you come in and you, you do snacks all the way down to dessert through seven different courses. Um, we, we can offer that, so that's why that's why the menu is set up the way it is, um, which I think is fun. And then the the, the items, it, it, I, I try to have a little something for everybody, you know, at least the vegetarians and vegans and the meat eaters and everybody else in between. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like with the pandemic. You were delayed, you got open, you had to close because indoor dining got shut down and you're not doing outdoor dining because I believe your your location just doesn't... We don't have the clearance for yeah. it anyway. Yeah. So, and then you opened again. I mean, <laughs> having worked with restaurants for a long time, I know how difficult it is to open a restaurant in normal times. And I feel like the challenges you guys were faced was just unbelievable. So... Um, but not insurmountable, right? Yeah. Well, obviously, yes. You've you've made it. We're here, but um, the, I, I give you a lot of credit. The hard part was having sort of this serene acceptance of things that were beyond our control and leaving emotion out of it. So all along, we started looking at it as two week periods, and as things went on, two month periods. So we would talk to the landlord and talk to our investors and. You know, try to make a deal and figure out what's going to happen next. And it was like, okay, for here's what we're going to do for June and July. Here's what we're going to do for August and September. And uh, we had to leave emotion out of it, as emotional as we wanted to get, because you would end up making a very rash decision. And what got us to this point was able to separate that and, and make sure we were making smart decisions. Yeah, I don't know what you want to add to that, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's it's weird and. Some of it might, it might be shocked to, to hear this, but I kind of was never worried, even though it was completely terrifying. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, we're still gonna open this great restaurant. We're building this great restaurant, and we'll take what, come, what gets thrown at us. That's just it. You can't, you know, you can't think any other way. So, well, and here we are. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a great attitude. And I, um, you've also put together a, a wonderful team where I know, I, know, I know several people you've been working with from yep. Glenn Coben, who worked in your design, to yep. Erica, Erica Cantley, who's uh, running, the, running the door. Right. Um, so, so were these, how did you, how did you go about finding who, who you're going to work with? And Glenn, um, you know, I knew from uh, our experience at Batard and we had kept in touch mm-hmm. and when this space was first available, he, he did a couple of, uh, just, um, you know, uh, drawings to help us to, to sort of determine where the kitchen might be located and how many seats we might get out of it. And, you know, I, we, we started looking at those and that was just done as a friend where we could at least have an idea going forward because we do need to know the number of seats and how big the bar is and et cetera, et cetera. So we can figure out when we're putting our numbers together, the staffing and the, the check average and how many customers we might expect to see. So, you know, Glenn was uh, uh, an easy choice to make. I, I've been friends with him for a long time. Um, as far as the staffing goes, and I'll let Chris answer this as well, of course, you know, I, I needed to put together a team that had some really great experience because we were going to be opening with a skeleton staff. So we had to eliminate uh, certain positions in the front of the house and in the back of the house just to get open because we were going to be at 25% capacity. So we couldn't open with a full staff. So I had to get people in who had some experience and could be um, uh, sort of cross-pollinate positions, so to speak. So if Erica you know, uh, can run the book and understands Resi, but at the same time can help polish silverware, it's just an advantage for the whole team. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I, would, I, 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 I had the pleasure of hiring one of my best friends, uh, James DeStefano, as uh, my pastry chef. And, mm, and, you know, he's good. He's, he's <laughs> great, and, and uh, it's, I'm really happy to, to be, sit, be back there working with one of my friends all day. And yeah. um, he's the kind of guy that can, that can you know, make, produce the bread, produce the pastries, also manage the dishwashers, <laughs> and uh, take care of the invoices, and all that stuff. And, and like, we, I just knew that we had to have this like kind of crack team that could really take care of it all. I mean, there's only a couple of us back there to, to produce what we do with Francie, and that's yeah. that's the passion that um, I was looking for when I was hiring like everything from dishwashers to cooks. It's like you know, this is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> you know, right. are you, do you do you want to do this? And um, you know, I, I I never even hire upon. Um, talent specifically, a higher run drive and attitude, and that's what each one of these individuals has. I can safely say that they, they push their hardest every day, so that's, yeah. you know, it's a special thing. And you have a beautiful kitchen. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm home, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Okay, so let me ask you my question for my last guest. On episode 282, I had on Amanda Clute. She's the editor-in-chief of Eater and a senior vice president at Vox Media. She wants to know, how has this experience of opening during the pandemic permanently altered your outlook on your business and this industry? Is there something fundamentally that's changed with how you see the industry after, or will see this industry after all this is over? I've been thinking about this question for like the past 24 hours. So. <laughs> um, permanently altered, um, I think permanently altered is, you know, small businesses uh, and you know, family-run businesses and independent restaurants really need a, a safety net in place. We don't have a, you know, a strong, well-paid lobbying group that's looking out for us. And I think one of the things, the great things that came uh, out of it was the, the, the restaurant coalition where you gather the voices and 
and made it a single voice, you know, to advocate for the industry. Um, and I think, you know, really made us, we, we had benefits we wanted for the staff in place, which will still be in place in the future. But it, you know, it really becomes very important then to offer those benefits to your staff, whether it's a health insurance program or whether it's uh, the ability to contribute to a 401k or paid time off. Um, and I think it very much put a magnifying glass to all the inconsistencies in our, in our industry. So yeah. I'm hoping going forward we can implement these programs the way we wanted to in the, in the beginning. What about you, Chris? Um, no, I can answer this in a, in a positive manner. I think with, with the permanent thing it's done for restaurants is I generally see people enjoying themselves and having a good time and really appreciating being able to go to a restaurant mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our diners come in here and it's their first time doing indoor dining and we do our, our very best to make sure they feel safe and, and all that, but also I get to see them really have a great time again and um, it, we all every table I talk to we're like we've missed this so much and 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 we're all kind of you know it's it's I think that's a really positive thing it kind of reminds us how lucky we are when something's taken away from us so yeah true new appreciation yeah for sure so John you wrote a piece recently on in food and wine about well it's entitled it's wrong to no-show on a restaurant reservation, especially now. Yes, I agree. Yes. So, um, what inspired you to write this piece? <laughs> I probably could have written this piece 15 years ago. Um, it's, you know, leaving restaurants aside, it's wrong to no-show on an appointment. You know, you have a dinner yeah. date with a friend, you have a doctor's appointment, you have a spa date. It's, it's just common courtesy, I think. It's rude to no-show. Or offer even even a last minute case cancellation is about as good as a no show. Um, I, I wrote it because, you know, at 25% capacity with six feet distancing, you know, a restaurant with 40 seats might only be able to seat eight or ten covers at a time. You know, we're a little luckier; we have a little bit more spacing, so we can seat more people. But if you're and and combined with a curfew, you're really restricted on how many people you might see in a given evening. So if you have you're going into a night where a restaurant might have be lucky enough to be in the the 20s, let's say 24 people, 28 people, and you're sitting there with a, a reservation of a party of six, that's 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 one quarter of the people you're expecting that night. It's one quarter of the revenue you're expecting that, that night. It's one quarter of the gratuities for the staff. It's planning on the kitchen side to have product ready, to have, have product ordered, to have the staff work two days in advance to, to, to produce that product that's going to be ready for the day that these people are coming in. And it, it just seems untenable that somebody would actually do that when they know how bad it is for restaurants and how we're struggling to, to hold on to business. You know, it just seems, uh, I think tone deaf is the word Glenn has used, the term Glenn has used to describe it. And it's even more frustrating when you can find the person on Instagram and you really want to say something, but we don't say anything. It's just uh, we, we live with what happens. And you see that they seem to be, at least on social media, very supportive of restaurants. So to have to have this happen just makes it even more, uh, uh, I think, infuriating, you know, is the right word. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I feel you, yeah. for sure. And it's, it's not that hard. You don't have to actually stop and pick up the phone and call. I mean, all the applications are fairly mm -hmm. easy. Apologies, I'm not going to be able to make my reservation tonight. And the no-show happens because 
we're already 20 minutes past yeah. the reservation time. We have no response whatsoever. And then we just get the word cancel texted to us. Right. You know, so it feels insulting. It's hurtful to the staff. Everybody really, really wants to, to see restaurants bounce back and the city bounce back. And we're still fighting against that, 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 that lack of courtesy that people seem to have. Yeah, well, I'm glad you wrote the piece. I think it's important. It, you know, it needs to be said. Uh, you know, people need to probably improve their manners a little bit. So. Yeah, well, it's, it's the, the, the other, I don't know, the other people that aren't as appreciative of, of being here, which is, I feel, the majority of, but it's not, uh, yeah, it's a common courtesy for sure. Yeah, in, in normal circumstances, you know, we have a hundred reservations. There's people at the bar. There's a wait list going. Mm-hmm. There's people calling to check to see if they can get in. It's yeah, it's still rude, but at least we can cover it. Right, know? right. At this point, restaurants don't have the chance yeah. to cover that. It's just it's just lost res- revenue. So. Yeah. So before we take a break, uh, one more question. So, what advice would you both give to anyone who wants to get into the restaurant industry, whether it's be a chef? Uh, Mater D, an owner. Yeah. What do you think? Go for it. <laughs> you Don't both do are, it. You both are, are like smiling and looking at each other like, hmm. No. Um, the, the perfect advice is you, just like I it's with any job, you, you better have a passion for it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you want to be a chef, take it to the max. You know, um, if you want to, if you, sell insurance take it to the max like you, you really got to um, you really it, it's one of those jobs that you got to want it you know you got to I mean I uh, I see it all the time with um, people cooks and something coming out of the kitchen and it's like well you know what's your end goal you know what do you want to do do you is this your passion is this your thing and anytime they answer me no I'm like ooh and don't don't you're young enough get out right. <laughs> you know? but if you're but if you're into it you know it's a beautiful beautiful thing and I, I do I do thank my lucky stars I get to cook in that kitchen every day and, you know that's my job it's mm. kind of cool to me still so yeah yeah I mean, just be passionate follow up and John I'd say become friendly with the New York City Fire Department. <laughs> they, they, Number that's one, sure. that's a first they, I've heard here, but makes well, sense. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and and Chris alluded earlier to people coming in, and we've had people tell us that their first dining experience indoors in a year feels like they're on a vacation, right? And that vacation only is two and a half hours long, and that's great because it's super rewarding to 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 affect somebody in that way. But then the next day you come in and like, okay, the toilet doesn't flush, right? Or there's a, a mess in front uh, that happened the night before on the sidewalk that you have to deal with. And even if it's not your mess, you still have to deal with it because it's our storefront. Or a sprinkler burst. Yeah, a sprinkler burst or you get a frozen pipe or, you know, and these are the non-romantic sides of the restaurant that you, if you're not prepared to deal with it, this is maybe not the industry for you, you know. On the, um, uh, the plus side, I'd say since it's an art form either way, whether it's the food on the plate or the service, I consider service an art form, you know, it's very subjective. So when you're putting a form of um, your work out there as an art, you're setting yourself up for criticism and you cannot take that personally, you know? Not everybody's going to agree with how your service goes, not everybody's going to like the food, uh, and some of it you might think is unfair, uh, but you still are putting something out there into the world. And you, you're subjected to, uh, to criticism for that. 
you can't take it personally. You have to still come in with a passion. You have to still bounce out of bed and be excited about what you're doing every day. And it, it's hard, but uh, every day I get up and I'm, I can't wait to get here because, you know, so many things are changing now with the uh, the vaccinations going up and the pandemic coming to an end that we can, we, you know, every day brings new changes and fresh changes for us. So we like, we get here and we, we got a smile on our face and we want to do it again, even though there might be, you know, unforeseen issues and circumstances we have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the great answers. And so you're talking, I was thinking back, I did, I was a bar manager once in Chicago. And I remember my analogy of it was, it was like being a firefighter, like, or I mean, not, you know, yeah, just in yeah. the sense is you go into work and you just, there would be a problem and you would have to figure out how to fix it. Like you didn't know where it would come from, but that's kind of as a manager, I think your, your responsibility and um, yeah, there's, it's not all problems, but there's there's things that come up and you don't know what it's going to be. Sure. But, you know, you get somebody at the end of the night who just loves everything you do and makes it completely worthwhile. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Passion. Back to passion, for sure. Okay. On that note, let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll have my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Baer. My guests today are chef owner Chris Chipalone and owner operator John Winterman of Francie in South Williamsburg, Brooklyn. You're on location today, which is very fun and exciting to be here with you guys. And now is the really fun and exciting part of the show. So um, it's my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You ready? Ready. All right, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, soft cocktail, or champagne? All the above. All right. Agreed. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Yeah, a la carte. Small plates or large plates? How, how do you mean? Are you talking about the size of the plate or what's on it? How, however you want to define it. Large plates. <laughs> I'd, I'd see perfect portion. I'm going to go in the middle. Okay. Middle-sized plates? Yeah, middle-sized <laughs> plates. How about communal table or chef's counter? I like a good chef's counter. Hmm? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Definitely tipping. P 
pizza or pasta? Pasta. In deference to my chef, I'll say pasta. <laughs> you make a good pasta. Pastas. Okay, open kitchen or closed kitchen? That's an easy one, open kitchen. Yeah. Two more, cheese plate or dessert? Figure I know what John's <laughs> gonna say. Do you know me by now? Uh, well, cheese plate. I, I, if I was wrong with that, it could have been both, yeah. but I thought it would be cheese for you. Oh, I'm gonna say dessert. Okay. Last one is Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. I feel like I misunderstood the first question. Eat in or eat out. I thought you were talking about like outdoor dining. Well, I, I mean, in today's yeah. day and age, I guess these things have different meaning. But I meant um, eat in, like stay at home right. or eat out at a restaurant or about and you you said you said i said eat in but eat. i was meaning eat indoors oh okay as indoor dining needs to come back so got it I, well it has yeah. a new meaning now yeah. yeah that's great well then that that makes you guys even more um i guess uh well that was the one you answered set differently yeah well, yeah i said go to a restaurant right yeah, right yeah. okay so, so we, we so you are thing. as yeah, I was a little concerned about the um, compatibility of you guys, but oh. you, you definitely came through. Oh, we're, we're definitely a dysfunctional <laughs> married couple, but, you know, it works well. It's great. Okay, so for industry news, I talked about this a bit on my last show with Amanda Clute, um, but I, you know, wanted to bring it back up because it's a big deal, and there's a new article that came out yesterday in the New York Times entitled, How Small Restaurants Leveraged their pain to win stimulus money. The Independent Restaurant Coalition turned tears into cheers, urging owners to share their angst and use that emotion to lobby Congress. And this was by Brett Anderson. And yes, it's talking about the Independent Restaurant Coalition and how they were able to get this Restaurant Act passed and um, it's uh, $28.6 billion for the industry. and. It's just, I mean, it's impressive. I'm glad the New York Times covered it because um, for this whole year, the restaurants, you know, has been fighting to like help save independent restaurants and they, they, they achieved it. Like, and I think lobbying was not something that um, anyone probably in this group had done before and some, except Sam Cass, who was, and Tom Colicchio. I mean, they had some people involved that that knew a bit about politics and how it worked but basically people just like rolled up their sleeves and got got to work and were successful so i'm very happy for them and proud of them um do you have more any any more take on this or you know i hope they yeah i i think it's congratulations are deserved i think it's with what's being talked about, it's probably a drop in the bucket right now. But I hope um, I hope it does save a lot of independent businesses. So. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think I think it's great. You know, let's, let's see uh, how that unfolds. Yeah, I listened to Amanda's Clute, Amanda Clute's podcast um, on Eater, and she interviewed. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer mm -hmm. and he was I mean it was cool it was a great interview to hear his support for the industry and um, and he was very involved in it and he said she asked him if um, 
what would happen after the money ran out and he's like we're gonna you know, like renew it like we'll we're we're gonna um he said um it will be replenished re replenished is what he said so we'll see so that's good news that would be great um yeah uh just happy happy for happy for everyone and see how i guess you have to see how the money gets dispersed now have you looked into that at all we have not. We're waiting to see what the uh, parameters are. Yeah. Well, very cool. Very happy for our industry. And I have a little announcement that um, I have, um, I'm launching, I have launched merch sales on my only industry website. And um, I have some great swag, including all the industry hats and totes and host notebooks and pens. And through the end of May, I'm going to be donating 100% of the proceeds of our hat sales to the IRC um, to help with our continued effort. So you can go to allintheindustry.com backslash merch and uh, check that out. And I do have some hats for my guests today. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I bring, I do bring swag when I do in-person nice. interviews. <laughs> okay, so for my solo dining experience this week, um, I went to a restaurant called Goose Feather. So here's the rundown. The location, 49 East Sunnyside Lane, located in the King Mansion at the Terrytown House Estate in Terrytown, New York. The concept, it's paying tribute to the cuisine of Hong Kong with a focus on noodles, Cantonese barbecue, and dumplings. The chef is Dale Talday, formerly of Talday in Brooklyn, and Masoni and Rice and Gold in Manhattan. So why did I go? Well, it had been on my list for a while, and it just made sense to me to go. I treated myself to an amazing lunch at Blue Hill Stone Barns for their chef in residence with Chef Omar Tate. And I had a car and I looked in the map and I saw where this was. So I'm like, I'm gonna go and get takeout and bring it home later because I definitely wasn't gonna eat right away after this, after my lunch. So that's what I did. So my experience, um, I drove there. I actually did a little detour over the Mario Cuomo Bridge just for fun, because again, I had a car and uh, why not? Um, and then I drove over to Goose Feather. It was um, really close to the, the, the restaurant's probably like 15 minutes apart. Um, when I arrived on the property, it's, it was an impressive property. Um, I, you know, the multiple buildings, I, I found where Goose Feather was parked I went in uh, I talked to the hostess and I ordered my takeout I asked if Dale was there and luckily he was I do know him through the industry and he nicely made a little mocktail for me to have and showed me around the property and we got to catch up while uh, my food was being made so that was great and what did I get so I over ordered because I did um, and I knew Chinese food would be good the next day so or after so I got three dim sum. I got dry aged beef pot stickers, Kung Pao chicken wings, and crispy shrimp bao. And then for the main, I got crab rice with jalapeno and tobiko. My take, it was all super tasty. Everything went really well together. I especially loved the shrimp bao. I could have eaten more of those. Um, and the crab rice was really uh, awesome and it was very good the next day. The ambiance, so it's an impressive venue. It's sitting on a hill with four separate dining rooms that have character, it has a bar, it has indoor and outdoor lounges and terraces and garden. It's quite a space um, worth checking out. Perfect for Chinese food 
cravings. Interesting tidbit. So Dale is a three-time chef testant on Bravo's Top Chef. He competed in season four, All-Star season eight, and Top Chef duels. And he's returning as a judge on season 18, which will start airing on April 1st. Personal fun fact, um, I was born in Miami, but my older sister was born in Terrytown. And every time I see the name Terrytown or I'm in the area, I think of that. The cost of this meal was $75, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, and the website's goosefeathernny.com. Have you guys been? Have you been to Goosefeather? I have not. So. Maybe Indeed. take a little road trip. Yeah. Let us, let <laughs> us get settled here. Yeah, well, that was, it was like um, I'm taking advantage of being in the neighborhood. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I did, it. and it was it was great. And um, yeah, that was a couple weeks ago I did that. Okay, so it's time for the final question. Um, my next guest is Justin Smiley. He's the executive chef of Il Buku Elementary, E-A-E-E-Venaria, and Smiley Pizza in NoHo, New York City. Uh, Chris and John, what would you like to ask Justin? Good question, Wander. I was, is I, I think if I remember, um, since I haven't been for a while, obviously, uh, Obuko, they had the, the market section up front. And, and I just, I didn't know if he had expanded that for people uh, to stay open during the pandemic. Is he going to continue to do that? And uh, was it successful for him to be able to do that? I will ask. I'm gonna. I'm planning to go on a, a pre-show little visit this week, so okay. I'll, I'll do a little research myself. But right. it's bring a good me question. some cheese back. Yeah. yeah. I'm interested in that too. You do you have different question, same question. Um, yeah, I mean that that would uh, particular to that business. That was always the end of things that I was um, intrigued about about the Buko over there. I'd, yeah. I'd eaten there, but uh, that the takeout thing. I wonder if that took off. Yeah, well, I'll piggyback on that. Yeah, I mean, and, and what are people buying? Oh, that's a good question. And he launched. Um, I mean, the Smiley Pizza is a new concept out of out of El Buco that he started doing. He didn't have that before. I know that's new from a few months ago. Right, right. Um, and that just reminds me. Also, I didn't ask you about your Francie at home, which you've been doing. Um, which also, I mean, th- did that that idea kind of just come with the times to yeah I mean, we were forced into that actually. yeah it, it came with um, the waiting game for restaurants that we opened so it, it was a way for Chris and myself and, and Jimmy to get out of the house for a little bit and just you know we may have eaten as much as we sold but <laughs> a lot of fried chicken yeah yeah but is it it's continuing now it's still available there okay. are certain menu items that don't travel that well so it's a limited menu available but it's still there yeah Sure. Yeah. Great. Well, you guys are awesome. I can't wait to come back and dine here again since I am a regular. <laughs> and I wish you much continued success and just congratulations for getting through this really hard time. And I'm really glad you guys met and came together. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in. Sorry we don't have any bomboloni for you right now. I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll stick around. No. Thank you. My guests today have been chef owner Chris Chipalone and owner operator John Winterman of Francie. You can check out their website at franciebrooklyn.com. Follow them on social media at franciebrooklyn, at chef Chipalone, and at John Winterman. 
Follow me at Sherry Bayer, Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website is BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Chris and John. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.